Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of PQA Panel Talks. I'm your host, Mike Herchuk. I hope you are all doing well and staying safe. Today, we're going to talk about accessibility testing. PQA has had a long history of being a full-service testing provider. We've been doing accessibility assessments and testing for a lot of years now. We've always supported the notion that your website application or mobile app be accessible to all users. But there's some things going on right now that are raising awareness of accessibility in applications. Ontario is poised to make it a legal requirement. BC is talking about it for the next year or two, and other provinces are investigating it closely. With user bases that are spanning geographical areas, it's become more than just making good humanitarian and business sense to ensure your offering is accessible, but also a legal requirement. Adherence to accessibility standards certainly isn't entirely a testing function or responsibility, but as always, we're the best suited to be the last line of defense that protects a company and proves its compliance. Testers should understand what accessibility testing is, the basics of the process, and how to understand the standards as they pertain to them. So today, uh, we've gathered together a few people here at PQA and Plato who uh, have been doing accessibility testing and are our experts to have a discussion about accessibility and accessibility testing to help you learn some of those basics and to help you understand where you have to learn more. So without further ado, uh, let's go through some introductions. So uh, Abhishek, let's tell us just a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Mike. Hello, everyone. This is Abhishek. Um, I'm working as a delivery manager here at PQA, and I've been into uh, testing for more than 16 years now. So it all started with learning what customer needs in terms of requirement for different projects. And then here I am uh, leading a couple of projects here at PQA for accessibility testing. Thanks. Anamali? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Anamale Nachiyapan. I have six plus years of experience in testing. I have worked in different kinds of fields, uh, like from energy sector to a product-based company and everything. Last one and a half months, I've been involved in full accessibility testing. I've been mainly working on mobile testing for making the websites accessible. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And Miriam. Hi, I'm Miriam Sharp. I'm working out of Sault Ste. Marie for Plato testing. And I was given the opportunity recently to learn and become well-versed with accessibility testing, which was a wonderful experience. And when I'm hopeful is implemented worldwide, I feel it's something well needed. Awesome. And, and Miriam, I think, are we pretty close or just past your one-year anniversary as being a tester? We are just past. Congratulations. Thank you. Cool. So let's get started with the most basic question. How do we define accessibility testing or accessibility? Like, what is it? Because a lot of people maybe just don't even know. Abhishek, do you want to get us started? Yeah, sure, Mike. So you brought up a very good question to start with. What is accessibility? Now, accessibility has been thought through different, I would say, categories. And what we as an, let's say, testing professional would do is mainly web accessibility testing and let's say mobile application testing. But accessibility did not start from web. It is an idea and also a law in many states wherein not only web, but other public, let's say services, be it schools, be it workplaces, be it parks, should be accessible to all the people irrespective of their different abilities. So when we talk about accessibility testing, we have to think about this world of billions and billions of people have got at least 15% of the population which are having some sort of disabilities. Now, 
a fair distribution of everything be it buildings and schools and also our web should be reachable in easy way as much as possible so that is a nutshell of about making things accessible to all the population of the people especially including the people with disabilities maybe just just to add a little bit of clarity someone who isn't thinking about things might say yep but the web is accessible you just have to type in the url maybe what people aren't thinking about is a blind person who's online on the web. That person uses their browser in a slightly different way. They have spoken word tools that read things out. And the problem is, is if you don't code your uh, application in the appropriate way, the speech tools can't pick up that there's a text to read out, or they, they can't find the visual cues and make sure that they're available. There's a couple of other things too. Abhishek, tell us more. So let us go back in the history about web. I mean, uh, we all know that we are fortunate enough to connect to each other and precisely access any information on the globe because of web. When, when we invented web and the language which helped people access web, HTML, was being launched along with the web in Europe, uh, Geneva, Switzerland to be specific. And that is where people started contributing to the web. But no one actually thought about uh, how about this left group of people, as you mentioned, Mike, who has some sort of disability, maybe vision impaired or not able to hear properly, or there could be a temporary disability also. Let's not only think about permanent disability. There are people for some time being maybe are not able to use their all the motor senses uh, in a normal day. So that's where a forum was being formed. And that forum is W3C, that is World Wide Web Consortium Forum. And it was being formed. Uh, now that was being formed in MIT. And that is where all the standards, international standards were being developed on the web, which were mainly to think web should reach not only to the people who can access them easily, but also to the set of people who have certain type of disability. So when this forum was being formed, there were some guidelines which came out from this forum. And these guidelines are being named WCAG, that is Web Content accessibility guidelines and that is where the protocol started to develop it started with 1.0 wherein there were rules uh, being decided for all the web which should be actually collaborated into the design of the application so that your application doesn't comes as a barrier for the people with disability and and now if we talk about how much matured it has gone the current uh, version of wcag is 2.1 which is in action right now now when we talk about these guidelines and what inside is there in this wcag that whole set is categorized into four main principles an acronym for these principle is pour p-o-u-r perceivable operable understandable and or robust now and that's where all these principles were being now subsectioned into 13 guidelines. These 13 guidelines would look into any kind of disability and would make sure the designers, the managers, the CEOs, and no matter who is associated with the company are thinking and planning the web accessibility into their organization from the inception rather than when the issues would crop up after the application is into the production. What this whole forum, the consortium, has done is they have came up with confirmation level, A, AA, and AAA. Now, 
for an application or an organization to follow the law of WCAG, now they have to make sure to understand the requirement, should I follow all the 78 success criteria, or should I only follow a subset of it? Now, they have to be very clear that, do I need to follow only the level A, which are must have fixes done in your application if they are failing on the accessibility? Now, the second category is double A. These are should. If you don't fix them, that very soon they will get converted into must have. And AAA, which is the last success criteria, are kind of nice to have. When an organization is abiding by all the three success criteria, that means that since the inception, since the designing, this industry is looking accessibility as in their model. Now, it all depends on what requirements you get. There are certain rules and laws also, which all the companies should abide by it. But yeah, this is overall umbrella towards accessibility, Mike. Awesome. So let's expand on something. Adam Ali, I'm going to throw this one at you. There's two different concepts in accessibility testing. There's static testing and dynamic testing. Can you give me a definition or explain what those are? The key difference is the static testing involves in the requirement analysis phase, which considering the accessibility testing, you can make few testing like in the design phase, like what would go well with the uh, accessibility design basis that can be corrected in the static testing and dynamic testing is where it involves in the development phase or more of the coding uh, base. If I have to give you an example, first place when you start designing a website or an application, when you keep the uh, consider the rules uh, of the accessibility that has been provided by the WCAG and according to the conformance level that you're looking at, if you design accordingly, you could correct major of the errors and there, are, and there comes the second part where coding is involved and errors or uh, defects have been found out that involves coding that can be corrected in the later part. So when you can test the website with not at a code base level, but just on the uh, context level or just giving you a review through use, there are different tools available as well, like uh, using manual testing. Another example to give is a screen reader. You can just start a screen reader that is available in a mobile application and also in a desktop application. You can run a screen reader and you can understand whether the website or an application meets the basic criteria. But to correct the error, to know in which code there is a defect. So for those kind of thing, we should use the dynamic testing. So it's, it's a bit of both. But initially, according to me, Static testing is the first thing that needs to be looked very deep into. When you have done a very good static testing, then the amount of errors that would occur in dynamic testing are that would be very low. That's according to me. Yeah, and so I think that's, that's a reasonable answer. I'm going to try and simplify it a little bit for our audience. So static testing, and often these get confused because the words intuitively um, kind of mean the opposite. Static testing is using a tool that goes through and analyzes the quality of the code to make sure it adheres to the standard. So an example of that is that we put HTML tags around certain places to say certain things, to say that this is something that can be read aloud. And what the static tools are going through and they're, and they're doing analysis in the code and they're coming back with a report be analyzed and saying, hey, there are a bunch of problems and they're here they are and they should be fixed. And so the reason that it's called static is there's a set of tools that's used in development called static code analysis tools, and they go and look at the health of your code. So they have a, 
a list of standards about what should be done. They go and look at the health of your code and they come back with a report. SonarCube is, is an example of a tool that does that sort of thing. So that's why I call it static code analysis. Dynamic testing is generally thought of as being the manual steps that you do it at the other end, once you have a user interface. And you can you can use tools, so you might use a screen reader tool to help you understand what's going on, but it's also the manual testing of putting your brain into the mindset of a person who potentially has a challenge and saying, okay, so if I'm a person who uh, is blind, can I perceive this site? Does, will it read out the sections that I need? Are there elements on this page that no matter what tools I have, they just won't be visible? An example of that is, is maps. You have to have a lot of really special stuff around a map for a non-sighted person to look at that and, and be able to figure it out. So that's hard for a tool to look at a site and say, you know what, a non-sighted person is going to have a problem with this. That's why uh, the dynamic testing is also important. And any accessibility testing that you do, uh, in my opinion, and in the general opinion, needs to be a combination of static and dynamic to work. It can't simply be dynamic. Uh, in this case, that just doesn't work because there are places where you can't tell whether there's a tag or not. And there's hundreds and hundreds of rules and hundreds and, hun and thousands of lines of code. And you really need the static testing to, to prove that out. So question for you, Miriam. So you've been doing this for a bit. You've, you've been on your project. Which part do you like better? Or tell us your experience between using the tools and doing the, the manual testing. Which part do I like better? Yeah, or, or just describe your experiences with both. I, I think when you first start using a tool such as Chromevox, it seems so daunting. But then when you put your mindset and you start thinking, you know, this is a tool that's you're reaching out to sight impaired people or people with missing limbs or things such as that, you start putting yourself in the position of that person, that tool becomes a tool of fascination, really, because this is the tool that's reaching everybody. Like, this is the tool that's, is it going to hit the links? Is it going to hit the bullets? Is it going to read me the drop-down menus? Is it going to link onto another page, onto the proper site? And all of those things, that one particular tool investigates all the way through. However, I did much enjoy the desktop version rather than the mobile version of voice-activated tool. Why is that? Can you tell us why you enjoyed the browser version better? Simply because I have terrible eyesight myself. <laughs> and to have to do all of that work on a small little mobile device, that was my only issue. Actually, that's not true. Pardon me. It is much more complicated when you're using the uh, mobile devices the tap features and when you're doing the testing as you're entering in your text versions of things, email addresses, things such as that. You have to double tap things where we don't often think that you have to do those things. Now that you're using this voice-based test tool, you have to double tap to initiate a D and then you can put the D letter in, things such as that. So it's really time-consuming also, mobile, mobile speaking. Um, okay, actually, coming back to the standards, um, so WCAG 2.0 and 2.1, um, those those are a standard. Are, are those the universal standards, or are there other standards out there? Yeah, so I would say that universal standards should be looked from W3.org, and that is where um, 
these standards are coming. So now if I if I talk about, let's say, Ontario, in Ontario, we have standard AODA, and it is it is surprising that it is active since 2005, stands for Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, which precisely tell the same thing that irrespective of in what business you are, your services should reach out to all the set of people. When you specifically talk about web accessibility part of it, now there are laws for that and organization which is which is there on ontario.ca uh, anyone can refer that page on accessibility and which very clearly tells about there are deadlines uh, which is effective as uh, january 1 2014 and then the next one is coming january 1 2021 if you don't comply with level a wcag for the prior one and double a for the next one then you are abide by law to do that and there has to be a report you have to submit if your application and that is not only about new application if you have an existing application which was significantly refreshed then also you are liable to make it web accessible so uh, most of the countries i should say have got some of the law uh, which abides accessibility now here is where let's say a little confusion could come if we talk about let's say america there is also a law ada the americans with disability act which actually became a law in 1990 but it does not very clearly tells about let's say a specific requirement on the web accessibility but what it does tell is that based on the requirement of your clients, you could go back and tie your requirement back to WCAG 2.1 or 2.0 or to the level of A and AA. So that is where I would say that every country is approaching these to make a law. Some are already effective. There are that deadlines, but most of these laws are going to have the link back to WCAG uh, principles and success criteria, Mike. So uh, we, we kind of accept that WCAG 2.0 and 2.1 are worldwide standards, but it's not that there's this universal body across the entire world that says, this is the thing. It's just become a user accepted standard. And then in Ontario and some other places, they're saying, yes, follow this standard. But there's no overwhelming governing body that says that it's publishing the standard, I guess. Yes, I'm with you on that understanding, Mike. So that's important understand that 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 you're choosing a standard so moving on from that though so there's standards how can your site be certified as accessible is there a stamp that you get okay that's an interesting question and again i can tell you from our experiences at pqa if client uh, and we have done a couple of projects where we have certified client for their web content and also audio video in terms of wcag double a that is where 90 percent of the requirement would come so how we approach is to understand the client requirement first just to make sure is there a special act you are making sure uh, we should complete the testing with and we have our own pqa template in terms of uh, the summary report and also a detailed report on static scan and dynamic scan so we start with uh, having an uh, i would say scope analysis and this scope analysis is a little 
more detailed because in terms of law, we have to also understand the overall landscape of uh, their portfolio. Is there enterprise level of application or the application is just having the four pages? So depending on how many pages and the level of uh, the interfaces on those applications and the content of the media, we would then come up with a test plan uh, wherein we will have a walkthrough with the team telling that, okay, this is what our understanding is. And that is where we will come up with our strategy based on our experience. These are the tools because when, when we talk about tools, I mean, and now internet, you, you search one tool, you would get more than 1000 suggestions of best tools in the market. Now we have very clear, uh, clear strategy of selecting the tools because over the period of time, we have gained experience on all the leading tools in the market, be it Chromevox, NVDA is one of the Australian tool, which is actually gaining so much demand and all these are open source. And then when we come to the scanning tool, Wave is one of the tool which is there being uh, recommended on W3 website. So then we present a strategy that these are going to be looking at your landscape. This is the tools which PQA would suggest. And also very important, if let's say a portfolio or a requirement would have maybe 1000 pages, we had served some clients wherein the combination of pages cross 600 now testing 600 pages manually on a screen reader and also doing a scan less uh, challenging to execute but when it comes to the dynamic testing wherein you have to first understand how that screen reader works and after that you will end up in doing some more manual testing not only listen to what is being read aloud also trying to access the application by zooming in to the 200% or changing the font size and also making sure that all the objects on a page are being accessed through keyboard strokes. So when all this combination comes and now think about this combination of manual effort versus 600 pages. So we approach on a template based uh, strategy. Hey, I have a sec. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you there. So I think what you're doing is you're giving a really good uh, description of, of how we approach certifying someone as their site is being accessible. And that's great. And I'm going to pull you back up a little bit. Sure. And I'm going to ask the question a little bit differently. So when you built an application and you want to be part of in Ontario, you can't actually go to a testing company and say, you're an approved company for doing accessibility testing. I need this document that I can take to the government of Ontario and say, I am certified. That's not actually how it works. You don't get certified as being accessible. It works differently. What you have to be is you're responsible for proving that you're accessible if someone files a complaint. So you have to stand up in front of the government of Ontario and say, yes, I did this. Yes, I'm good. And they say, okay. And then you're good until someone files a complaint. And then you have to justify that you've done the testing that you uh, recommended. That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah, I think you you summarize it well. And most of the discussions we are having with the client in, in some cases was that a complaint was being launched. And that is where I think a couple of more scans were being asked. So you are, you are correct, uh, Mike, in that case. I think that's good. And, and that, was, that was the follow-up question I was going to ask is, can you be certified as an accessibility tester? And I've not heard of anywhere where you can get some sort of badge or certificate that says, yes, 
us as an organization or me as an individual is a certified tester. It's, it's just something that we do. All right, so let's let's uh, change it up a little bit. Um, uh, both Miriam and, and Anamala, you you've uh, been learning um, how to do some uh, accessibility testing in the last little bit. So let's start with you, Anamala. Uh, how did you learn, and, and what are the tips that you can give people for learning to be a successful accessibility tester? Well, the first point I would ask anyone to start with the WCAG principle. First, go through them, try to understand what they are trying to explain and everything. And then the second thing would be like, if you take a project, each and every project comes with, for the client would say like, you know, we need these tools to be tested for these website or this application. And each and every client might differ. Like one might go with an uh, NVDA tool or one might go with a screen reader from Mac. So they have a specific set of tools. And the second point would be like, go through the requirement, go through the list list of tools that you're looking for. Like to say in my project, the tools they were asking uh, for was uh, Chromebox, screen reader, that is voiceover in Mac. And then iPhone uh, functionality is uh, voiceover for screen reader again and uh, other tools. So the second step I took was understanding their tools in the phone. If you have to do the screen reader, there is a list of gestures available. I took some time to learn the gestures on how to navigate using a uh, screen reader on. And also about the different functionalities. I also had a functionality called uh, auto motion and uh, it had a functionality called auto video previews. I took some time to understand what that functionality means. How does it work? So yeah, that would be my step. Be like, understand the tools, understand each and every tool that you're going to use will definitely have a list of functionalities on how to use them or a documentation that is specifically available on how to use them. Go through them, work with the devices you have, like how to use them and everything. And then after that, once you're done, try to relate both WCAG principles and how the output is coming over in your devices. And then after that, what I would suggest is experience always helps. If there are some previous projects that have been done uh, by other people, go through that, go through their reports. That would be really helpful as well. Like currently, uh, I know for PQA, we have put a specific set of documents listing on how to install the softwares that we have used. What are the common errors to look out for? To give you an example, until halfway through the website, when we completed testing, we never knew one was an error. And then we had a discussion. We did go through the previous projects and what was it. And then we did understood something like that. So these are my set of instructions for anyone who is trying to learn new. Start with the principles and then look for the client requirements. What are the tools? And then get familiarized with the tools and then give an initial try and start working on it. So that would be my suggestion. Thank you. Um, I do know that Avashek is pretty proud of the training materials we put together, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you use them successfully. Uh, another point that I should make is that our uh, themed content that we're delivering around that this podcast is part of is going to have an uh, article that's going to discuss some of the popular tools. So you should uh, go to the PQA website and take a look at that. And then you'll be able to work with that as well to gain some understanding. Uh, okay, so I'm going to turn to you, Miriam. Um, you're a person who's been a tester for a year, and you've just learned this. So you're all about learning testing. So maybe you could share your experience a little 
well. PQA had dedicated an accessibility group, and with it, there, were, there came a lot of guides and training material. The material included PowerPoints, and documents, and training videos. Um, it was really good. It was good training material, but I felt like I had to go a couple of steps further. So I went on the W3 org site as one point of reference. And then I accessed a peer that I work with, Parents of St. Marie, and he was amazing. And he pointed me into a lot of additional directions, including a lot of videos that I, I watched uh, with sight impaired people. And then I also sought some assistance from a, an acquaintance I had that was fully blind. And I was watching him while he was accessing well, while he was accessing the internet and the way he was on the keyboard and navigated from site to site. And it was, it was amazing. So it started making me understand the real importance of the accessibility testing and why I was going through all of this training. And it, it kind of sparked that desire to want to learn and to seek other reasons why I was training to learn this. And it was great. It was, it's, it was a really good thing. I think it's a really, really good thing for any tester to want to learn and desire to learn. And in saying that, any tips that I could offer to anybody in that were wanting to be successful at learning to do this, I could honestly say you have to think outside of the box. If you think you're going to watch a video or and read a couple of PowerPoints, it won't be enough. You need to put yourself outside of that box and give your senses a go. Like we all have senses, but when you're going to start exploring this, close your eyes and try to navigate on a screen with a screen reader. Take your mouse and try to use your wrist and not your palm. And you're going to realize how clumsy and awkward all of these maneuvers really are. And it's going to give you a lot of perspective. And it'll make you understand the struggles of people with disabilities and things such as that. And I think when you do these little minor things, those will be the things that will give you the success at being a very good accessibility tester. And in saying that, always remember we have visual disabilities, audio, physical, cognitive, and literacy. And once you open that box, it's a really big world of discovery. You can only improve yourself when we think about other people and the trials they go through every day. Excellent. Thank you. Well, uh, we, we've kind of come to the end of our time, so I would like to thank Miriam and Anamalai and Avishek. Thank you for your input and discussing. I hope that uh, you out there, our listeners, have now have a basic understanding of accessibility, and, and PQA and Plato, of course, are there to help you. But it's a journey that uh, you should all be starting because there will be requirements, and uh, hopefully the other resources that we've put out there will be useful for you. Uh, we would love to hear your conversation, your questions, your comments. So if you can reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook or on our website, that would be great. Uh, we would also love it if you could rate the uh, podcast in any one of the system in which you listen to it. So that would be awesome as well. So thank you once again for listening, and we will uh, we'll talk to you again next month.